Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 99, Blue Mountain Surprises. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's late September. It's been a while since I've checked in with you with these radio episodes. And today, we talk about a recent trip to the Olympic Peninsula, just a few days ago. I hooked up with three geologists from Purdue University, two of whom I know quite well to this point, a third that I met for the first time. We camped for a night in Olympic National Park, and then I filmed them the following morning, Wednesday morning, the last day of summer for me, the day before I started teaching uh, the fall quarter here at CWU. And yes, that video is now available on YouTube if you're interested in watching it. So as you know, these days I've been combining uh, here with the radio broadcasts, uh, talking about a little bit of geology content, also kind of giving a little bit of behind the scenes uh, for the video itself and other things that are on my mind at the moment. Let's start with what's on my mind at the moment, and then we will get to the, the Blue Mountain unit, as it's known a place called Blue Mountain, um, kind of to the east of the main guts of North Cascades National Park on the peninsula. Okay, the preambles, if you don't mind. I hope everything's going well with you. Uh, weirdly, uh, it seems to come in flurries, but there's been a flurry the last few days, it feels like with a bunch of people checking in saying, I'm new to your audio podcast. I didn't know it existed. I'm really enjoying it. And I think in a few cases, uh, the folks are not aware that there's uh, such a library on YouTube with videos. So they're, they're just kind of, I guess, entering my little world uh, through these audio episodes. So thanks for those that are, uh, you know, reaching out and sending messages or social media, direct messages or whatever. It's, it's interesting. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but you remember in the last radio episode, I mentioned that I liked the visual of me being along with these long-distance Pacific Crest Trail hikers and how they're kind of working through these radio episodes here, as well as other podcasts, I have no doubt. Well, a couple of these messages the last few days are also from outdoor people. And one, one guy in particular said, uh, I'm up on Mount Shuxon right now in the dark, about ready to um, watch the sunrise, and my climbing friends are still sleeping, and uh, I guess he must have had internet or something or cell coverage and texted me uh, from the top of Mount Shuxon and said he was listening to episode whatever about exotic terrains with these audio episodes. So those things continue to excite me getting those visuals about where people are, uh, especially if they're kind of out enjoying things anyway. But, you know, whatever. Um, it, it's, it's fun to make these, these little episodes from down here in the basement. Um, what else is on my mind? Well, school started. Uh, the fall quarter has begun at Central. We're on the quarter system, so we start later than, you know, most people when they start in late August. So our first day was whatever it was, September 20 third or I don't know, whatever that Wednesday was. I mean, literally the first day of Central, I'm camping <laughs> on the Olympic Peninsula. So I'm, 
I wasn't on campus during the first day, but I never teach on Wednesdays. And so my first teaching day was Thursday, uh, a few days ago. I'm happy to report that uh, the energy in the auditorium is at an all-time high. I have a uh, absolutely, um, I don't know how to say it, like these kids are into it right from the start. And whether they have knowledge of, of this stuff or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, the attendance is excellent. Uh, you ask some kind of general questions uh, during the lecture, uh, oftentimes in kind of a review format. You know, like 10 minutes ago, I, I gave some example of some limestone beds and wherever, and I say, now where were those limestone beds? And like, you know, 55 people say in unison, Central Idaho. Uh, that's unusual. So they are locked in, and, and I've, you know, I've already said kind of to them, we got to pace ourselves, you know. We, we, we can't just be crazy with enthusiasm now and then kind of drop off the face of the earth. Probably shouldn't even have said it, but I have seen that, you know, it's difficult to maintain that level of excitement over an entire quarter. But I'm not arguing, and to have the room completely full without any masks, no old people, just just a bunch of central kids, and I and I say that because you know over the years I've had retired folks come in and sit in on the class, uh, in part just to provide some energy and some kind of stability. And to be totally honest with you, uh, attendance before the pandemic uh, was tailing off. Uh, I feel like I have a good thing going, a good vibe going in a classroom, and it's going to sound uh, conceited, but. Even me, <laughs> even my class, I was having people uh, not coming as regularly as, as they typically do. So whatever, if you're looking for a positive spin uh, these days, and I think we're all looking for good news, uh, it is a good scene right now on campus. I still can't tell if we have full enrollment. I still can't tell if, if we're out of the woods financially with the university and the dorms are all full. I really haven't heard anything official yet, but at least from my little world, uh, things are great. I guess one other thing on my mind is is um, if you have been a fan of the pop-up geology things where I'm doing live events and meeting people out in the field, you've noticed that I, I have not done any of those pop-up live events. I think it was probably since May. And there's two obvious reasons for that from me. Well, let, let me say it this way. For some reason, uh, I'll share you a couple. <laughs> For some reason, I just haven't been excited about doing those. Uh, you can blame it on the hot temperatures. You can blame it on the smoke in the air. You can blame it on those kinds of things. But as is typical, um, I just kind of follow my instincts. And in this case, my instinct is not that really excited about doing those, those live events out in the field, even though the attendance was great. The two tangible reasons that I... I I think I got a little less excited about doing those live events, those pop-up events. One is um, I wasn't happy with the audio. And forgive me if I already shared that here. I can't remember. Uh, the The attendance was you know, whatever. The last one I did down by Sentinel Gap was maybe 150 people, and I had to project my voice to that size group out in the field, and my mic, my microphone, my lapel, my sound system was just not able to handle it. So my voice was distorted 
for my taste, I'm picky, but for my taste in the recording, I wasn't happy with it. Another reason is uh, I've had trouble getting good, solid uh, cell coverage so that I cannot go live. And that was one of the reasons I was doing those pop-up events. I was finding places where I could do something live uh, and have a big audience online at the same time that I was talking to a, a, a decent-sized audience out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I'll say it, the third reason is uh, Washington State Park started hassling me saying you need uh, you need to do paperwork and permits to uh, uh, assemble uh, in a parking lot that we have and you know that kind of drained my <laughs> my enthusiasm as well I'm not going to fill out a bunch of papers for something that I announced 48 hours in advance what the hell so uh, I'm hoping to get back to that at some point but it's not happening anytime soon and I mentioned that because I have been working on a new, thing. I mean, it, it is fun to try new things. And Nat Nickel at Central has been helping me with uh, a multi-camera setup involving the auditorium and live broadcasts of some of our geology guest speakers Fridays at noon. And so that's currently been on my mind. In fact, I'm emailing folks, you know, daily now about getting permission and food and, and, uh, um, you know, uh, we don't need to get into all that. But anyway, I'm, I'm being very intentional about trying to restore our life in the building, our social life. We have three floors. It's a fancy building. We are fractured at the moment, and we're trying to come out of this pandemic world. And my colleagues aren't really seeing the urgency, but I'm seeing the urgency. We need to get everybody back together physically, uh, including uh, the lowliest undergrad, you know what I mean, up to the grad students, up to the staff, up to the faculty. And if we can develop a rhythm in the department and get everybody physically together every Friday morning, uh, that is going to pay dividends for us uh, with kind of networking and collective identity and everything else. It, it's been on the rocks, no pun intended, uh, for at least two years, maybe even a little bit before the pandemic, if I'm totally honest with you. So I've taken over the speaker series, and I'm, as usual, I'm trying, you know, radical changes uh, to the format, to what we've always done in the past, and um, we'll see how it goes. I'm sharing that here because... The first one of these Friday social things is Friday, this coming Friday, and I just went down to Vinman's Bakery, you gotta love it, and talked to the owner, Jeff, and I shared my idea with him, and you may know if you've been watching the, the YouTube videos that Vinman's Bakery, uh, just off the edge of campus, has been a major um, character, shall we say, in most of what I've been doing uh in video form, probably not so much here with the radio stuff, but uh, essentially it was a fake sponsor. Begin at the beginning, it was it was a it was just a joke, you know. I was saying from the backyard two years ago. This episode brought to you by Vinman's Bakery in downtown Ellensburg. You gotta love it. And then Jeff, who's a neighbor and the owner, uh, and I'm a regular customer, started bringing. And he's a businessman, you know. He's he started bringing pastries over to the backyard, and so then I'm literally using the pastries as props. And then before I know it, um, 
it's becoming a more and more, you know, it's it's in the live chat all the time. People talking about Vinman's and Jeff himself is in the in the live chat, identified as Vinman's Bakery and and so now in the last year, uh, things have opened up and people are coming from all over the place to uh, drive or fly into central Washington and on their on their must see or must visit is Vinman's Bakery. So um, Vinman's is involved in this new uh, social hour on Fridays, and uh, Jeff's just going to essentially donate uh, pastries and other things every Friday. Okay, now so that's on my mind. I'm about to get to the geology, by the way. So that's on my mind, and currently I'm trying to decide how aggressive I want to be. Do I, I probably start small and just have these uh, gatherings, these social gatherings be the geology department. That's the whole intention. But I don't know. It might grow to be bigger, especially if there's all this Vinman stuff every every Friday just kind of laying there um, uh, on the tables outside of my classroom. I don't know. I might open it up to the public, and it might become a, a bigger thing. So that's what's going on in my mind. Uh, let's talk about geology in this recent trip. I have been teaching about the Olympic Peninsula for many years. You know, geology of Washington is the main thing that I teach to college freshmen. And so what we do is we take geology 101 concepts and then we regularly apply those concepts to the state of Washington because this is an amazing place for geology. I think if you go back and listen to the first, whatever, 35 of these uh, radio episodes, and I think I started doing this back in December of 2019, maybe even December of 2018, I kind of forget, but it was in December, I remember, when I knocked most of those out. Those were the, you know, 101 lessons, and you see Washington being used over and over and over again. And there was some Olympic Peninsula um, content. And the main thing is talking about this large igneous province called Silesia. And you've heard me talk about Silesia quite a bit, maybe too much. Well, it was a, a really enjoyable, uh, what was it, what, a Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, uh, camping and then hanging out with Purdue University's Michael Eddy, Aaron Donaghy, and Ken Ridgway. I, I had never met Ken before, but Ken and Mike are co-advisors to Aaron. And Aaron is the PhD student has, who has been doing uh, many summers now worth of fieldwork involving the bedrock geology of the Olympic Peninsula. Her specialization is sedimentary layers. And then uh, last summer, no, sorry, uh, earlier this summer, uh, Mike and PhD student Aaron were up in the Yakutat terrain of Alaska. And they had some weather issues, so and they had a helicopter and they had plenty of funding, but they the weather was not kind to them, so they had just a few precious field days where they really got some good work done. Otherwise, uh, they didn't quite accomplish what they were hoping to up there. Still enough to make it work for Aaron's dissertation, her PhD project, in other words. So I think we'll leave the Alaska part off for right now. But I'm reporting on something called the Blue Mountain Unit and related units. And to be totally honest with you, I'm still a little bit confused. So let me try to explain. It's not only the content now, 
of the sedimentary layers on the Olympic Peninsula. But I think I'm also, in the next 15 minutes or so, going to be commenting on how science progresses and how just when you think you have something nailed down, talking about myself now, just when you think you have things straightened out in your mind, using quote-unquote new research, when you talk to these folks who are out in the field, they're starting to wonder if what they wrote three years ago is, is right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's exciting, uh, but also as you're sitting there around the campfire and you're you know, asking questions with the camera off, as I was doing Tuesday night with these guys, I think at a couple points I said, you're kidding me. I just, I just taught this. I just used your paper, Mike. And he's like, well, we have new data. And I'm starting to wonder if what we did is correct. And again, if you don't totally have a grasp on how science progresses, it's pretty confusing and almost discouraging. And if you're really not sure how science works, you just, you know, impulsively just say, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. I'm not going to listen to any of this. You're backtracking on a new paper that you presented three years ago. Well, in, in reality, it does seem like that sometimes. But the longer term kind of story arc is you're getting closer and closer to the truth. You're getting closer and closer to what actually happened. 45 million years ago or 50 million years ago, which is, which is the time frame from this discussion. So how can I do this with you without getting myself confused? Okay. Well, let's try. There's plenty of basalt on the Olympic Peninsula. It's been known for decades as the Crescent Basalt. More recently, in the last 20 years, that Crescent Basalt has been lumped in with other basalt units in Oregon and even a little bit up in Vancouver Island. No, that's not true. Just Washington and Oregon. Western Washington, Western Oregon. And so those local stories are folded into a more regional story, therefore, and we say, hey, we got this big, large igneous province called Silesia, which started to erupt 56 million years ago. You remember this now? Built quickly out in the Pacific Ocean, and then that's the last terrain to accrete. I don't know how many times I've said this with you, both in video and audio form. You're sick of it by now. I think I'm sick of it. And Silesia accretes roughly 50 million years ago. The trauma of that Silesia accretion is felt uh, throughout central, maybe even eastern Washington. And this accretion of Silesia, roughly 50 million years ago, is felt all across the American West if you start looking at plate vectors and convergence and oblique subduction Blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into all that regional stuff. Okay. So, did we go visit the Crescent Basalt in Olympic National Park? No, we didn't. Why not? Well, Hurricane Ridge was closed, number one. They were doing construction. So, we were camped at, what is it? Heart of the Hills? Is that what it's called? Heart of the Hills Campground uh, in Olympic National Park, which is on the Hurricane Ridge Road. And that campground was open, but there were barricades right, right up past that campground. So the only highway traffic 
on the famous Hurricane Ridge Road, where you are driving up, 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 and going through much of the Silesia basalt, and pillows and everything else, uh, that was off limits. But even if that road was open, that was not going to be what Erin Donaghy wanted to show her advisors on that Wednesday last week and show me as well. She knew she invited me to come out. She knew it was a long drive. It's a you know four and a half hour drive from Ellensburg to get out there. And, and uh, she said, I know you can just go out and come back, uh, you know, on successive days. Are you really sure you want to come out here? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I like your work. Uh, the viewers of the videos know you well by now, Aaron, and they know Mike Eddy, your advisor. And so let's go ahead. I'd be happy to take a drive. And the weather was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous for late September. So I didn't want to get in the way because these are just a few days that Aaron is with her advisors and she is essentially, in a way it was a test. It's not really a test, but um, she's done her field work the last couple summers with herself or with an undergrad uh, field assistant, which is customary. And then here's her chance to take her to advisors who are going to write some of these scientific papers with her eventually. Uh, she's taking them to all these places and they're having discussions in the field. Now, these advisors, Mike and Ken, have heard, you know, uh, prelims and other kinds of reports and, and sharing data and having, you know, weekly visits with, with Aaron and their offices back in, in Indiana at Purdue University. But... It's much different to be out at the outcrop and using their experience. Now, Ken Ridgeway is my age, uh, a little bit older even. He's been at Purdue for 30 years. Uh, he has done incredible amounts of work, apparently, with sedimentary units up in British Columbia and southeast Alaska, maybe south-central Alaska as well. I'm just new to Ken, and I'm new to his work, but I really enjoyed visiting with him. He rode with me for a while, and we had some really interesting conversations. Mike is still a relatively new professor at Purdue, but uh, nobody's a bigger fan of Mike Eddy than I am. So he's bringing his own um, Ph.D. work on central Washington to western Washington bedrock units involving Silesia and other things, and then folding that into his work with Aaron. So it's not an accident Aaron's working on this stuff. Both Mike and Ken have had uh, publications already in this vein. So I didn't want to get in the way. I filmed where I could. I was literally eavesdropping. I had both Mike and Aaron with a microphone on. And I was just, you know, filming and kind of walking around them and getting a little bit of outcrop shots, but not even a bunch of outcrop stuff. It was just kind of listening in on what those kinds of conversations are like. And they're brainstorming. And Mike in particular, I've for a few times now, I think Ken was probably confused, to be honest, when I said to Mike for probably the 12th time, hey, look, I don't want to blow it here. Like, this is a competitive world in science. Like, I don't want to, you know, share some of your ideas with you in video form and have your competitors or whatever, you know, scoop you and take some of your ideas and run with them and publish before you publish. And Mike basically said, look, this isn't brain surgery. <laughs> We're not doing, it's not that important, that the stuff we're doing, uh, you know. And it's way more important that people see how science works. And I love that. 
And hopefully people his age, you know, under 40, maybe that's the way people are viewing things now. I think it's maybe a generation earlier where there was this incredible um, negative stuff. And I have my data and somebody's going to steal my data and there's all this, uh, you know, nastiness. I don't see much of the nastiness anymore. Maybe it never existed, but I'm pretty sure it did. Okay, can you tell I'm stalling? I'm stalling because if you watch that video, I'm not asking a bunch of questions, mostly because I'm staying out of the way, but partly because I'm still confused. Mike's paper on the Blue Mountain unit, which was the key focal point, we spent the whole day looking at the Blue Mountain unit. Mike's main message was the Blue Mountain unit from his age dating work was proven to be younger than Celestia, and therefore a sediment that was deposited after Celestia accreted to the Pacific Northwest. And yet it's now sitting in a position structurally where it looks like it's older than Celestia which was the old view. The old view was you have these sandstones primarily, these lithic rich sandstones called the Blue Mountain Unit at a place called, you guessed it, Blue Mountain. For many decades, it was assumed the Blue Mountain Unit was older than Celestia, and therefore those sands, which are interpreted as turbidity currents, or in other words, turbidites, in other words, underwater landslides, in other words, marine sediments deposited at the continental margin. That is the story for the Blue Mountain Sands. It's a, it's a marine scene close to a continental slope, assuming those sands are coming from the North American continent. But until Mike's work, it was assumed that those Blue Mountain turbidites were older than Celestia, and therefore Celestia was a bunch, incredible amount of basaltic lava that erupted on top of the Blue Mountain unit. You following me? And therefore, that crescent basalt was, was erupted basically on the margin or close offshore to the margin of North America. Well, Mike, in his Blue Mountain unit paper, which I, I guess is 2018, maybe 2017, co-authored Jeff Tepper and Ken Clark at University of Puget Sound, they proved with that paper, surprisingly, that the Blue Mountain turbidites are quite a, uh, like four or five million years younger than the Celestia basalt. And therefore, when the Celestia basalts were erupting, there was no Blue Mountain unit then. And using some other data, made the case that the Blue Mountain, sorry, made the case that the Celestia basalt was erupted far offshore as a true oceanic plateau, a large igneous province. And then we accrete it, and then we have the Blue Mountain sand deposited on top of Celestia. You with me so far? I think I'm with me so far. Now here's where it gets messy. Those units are no longer horizontal, if they ever were. 
and in particular that Blue Mountain sediment, which is younger than Silesia and originally deposited on top of a submerged Silesia. Now that's a weird part. So we're going to accrete this incredible island and then very quickly we're going to submerge the whole thing. Let me pause. We're going to accrete a large igneous province and then within a million years the land is going to sink to a, you know, it's going to disappear under the waves of the ocean. And we know that because these turbidites of the Blue Mountain unit deposited on top of Silesia, we have to be underwater during that time. So that's intrigue number one. I don't know, still really know what to do with that. And I, we talked about it around the campfire a little bit, but let, let's leave that alone. I've got just a few minutes left, and the thing that was repeated a number of times in the finished video, and I think three or four more times, which I cut out of the video, and those guys were incredibly patient, was the two of them, Aaron and Mike, explaining to Ken, who was new to the Olympic Peninsula geometries, and then, again, explaining to me, half distracted by, you know, making sure I'm recording things properly with the audio and the video, is that there's something called the upper crescent and the lower crescent. And it was assumed that both, both of the upper and lower crescent is like upper and lower parts of, so, oh, I see, it's right now, I'm realizing it right now. The lower crescent is the oldest part of this large igneous province that was underwater. It's full of pillow basalts. And because it's nothing but basalt, you can't get a date on the thing. You can't get a true number on the lower crescent or the earliest parts of the eruption of Silesia. I got it now. Just right here with you, I've got it. And it's just the upper crescent which is the latest stages of building Silesia, including some subaerial stuff, in other words. In other words, this large igneous province emerges from the sea out in the water, but there's enough sedimentary material, apparently, that they can get some dates on where the upper crescent is well-documented, is well-dated. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm with you, but are, are you saying that today in the high peaks of the Olympic Peninsula is the Blue Mountain unit, and then below it is the older Silesia? No, I'm not. That'd be nice. That'd be nice and easy. Even a dum-dum like me could figure that out. If the Blue Mountain unit was still sitting, you know, like a beautiful layer cake, like the Grand Canyon, sitting on top of this Silesia basalt. But instead, the accretion and the continued convergence of that plate boundary has taken young Blue Mountain unit, the sandstone, and shoved it into a trench or shoved it along a fault boundary. And so this younger Blue Mountain unit is today sandwiched between older Silesia to the west and some even older bedrock to the east. I don't expect this to work for you. It barely works for me at the moment, trying to describe it. But I'll finish with the part where Mike was kind of backtracking a little bit. 
because it was assumed that the Blue Mountain unit was interbedded with some volcanics, and that was the real crux of the matter. Why are there volcanic rocks or volcanic layers, sometimes some blocks of pillow basalt, sometimes some, um, some clear basaltic eruptions that are happening at the time of the Blue Mountain unit? I get it right now. God dang, I should have done a podcast when I was with those guys to help me work through this. I've got it. If there are some younger basalts that are interbedded with the Blue Mountain, that means we have basaltic activity, some volcanic activity that is happening in western Washington long after the main basalt was erupted out in the water. I got it. And the crux of the matter is, why are we getting eruptions at the margin during Blue Mountain time? Like we have these underwater landslides, these turbidites, in supposedly a quiet kind of continental slope. Why are we getting eruptions during that time? And the debate, during the filming last Wednesday morning was, are these really eruptions of basalt interbedded or at the same time as the Blue Mountain unit, or is it possible, and this is what Ken Ridgway was pushing, just being devil's advocate, is it possible that basalt appears to be interbedded with the Blue Mountain unit, but is not? That it's actually pieces of basalt from farther offshore that got moved and then shoved into and juxtaposed against slices of the Blue Mountain unit because it is a complicated area. In other words, I finally get it. How many times have I said that? God dang. They're seeing in on Blue Mountain itself a bunch of basalts and other volcanic units right next to these turbidite sands. But the question is, are they next to each other in a place called Blue Mountain today because there's a bunch of faults that brought those volcanics and brought them next door to the Blue Mountain? Or do we not need a bunch of faults in the Blue Mountain unit, which is, I think, where Aaron uh, lies currently, and they truly are interbedded? And then I got to wrap up with you, but like that's the most interesting question. If we truly have eruptions of lavas at Blue Mountain time, we can't have subduction anymore. We're too far inland. We've already accreted the big Silesia. The trench is far away. So then, how do you get those volcanics? Is it the story where we have a spreading ridge that is subducting? And are those volcanics that are truly interbedded with the Blue Mountain unit things we were calling near-trench magmas in past radio episodes? Okay. Wow, this was helpful. Thank you for being here with me. This is great. For the moment, I have it. I'll probably lose it by the time I get upstairs again, but right now I think I've got it. Who knows if you've got it, but maybe at least this is a temptation for you to watch this this new video. I don't think I called it Blue Mountain Unit. I think I just called it Olympic Peninsula with Michael Eddy and Aaron Donaghy. 
And if you're curious about what it's like to be a PhD student and bringing your professors out to the field and just even just getting a sense of their relationship and how casual it is and how, you know, everybody's crawling into their sleeping bags in their own little tents and then we're, we're eating burritos that night and uh, I brought a bunch of beer in the cooler and um, it's not this formal scene that you might imagine if you've never been in graduate school. Thank you, dear listener. I appreciate you listening to this one. Was this episode 99? Is that what I said? My God, what should I do for the next one? Have some sort of self-important celebration of 100 episodes? Yeah, I don't think so. We'll just roll on. Thank you. I love you. And goodbye.